Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is episode 36 with Sunday Bean. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxit. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have with me Sunday Schneider Bean, and uh, we're going to talk about the cultural and social adjustment that international students go through when they come into the United States. Welcome to the show, Sunday. Thank you, Tao. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, I'm excited to have you here. I, um, I know it's the holidays here, but so I just want to, you know, uh, thank you for taking the time once again for to, uh, to talk to me. No, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so, international students. I've been in international students uh three times and you know preparing for the college college life in the united states can be overwhelming sometimes so i i really wanted to dive into that but before i get into that could you give us a little background about who you are and what you do okay um as um you'll be able to see when you look into my bio i'm a born american mm-hmm. uh, ra- born and raised in williston north dakota and I did my first study abroad experience in Toledo, Spain. It was the second country I'd ever been to, uh, besides Canada. And I lived a very homogenous life, and um, I, I was extremely fascinated by culture. So that's what drew me to study abroad and had a fantastic three-month experience in Spain. From there, I did some traveling within um, Western Europe and got inspired to go to Southeast Asia after um, I had a gap in between two business consulting assignments, and while I was in Southeast Asia, I met my Swiss husband in Vietnam, and moved to Switzerland, got married, and uh, had some interesting experiences um, trying to integrate there. So that is what led me to professionalize um, my passion about culture, and I decided to use some of those ups and downs that I experienced uh, to get a master's degree in intercultural communication and develop um, 
licenses in delivering intercultural training. And after I did that in uh, the U.S., I felt like I was re-entering into a whole other culture again because I had been in Switzerland for four and a half years. Uh, so this idea of an international student, I felt like I've also been an international student from different perspectives um, myself uh, twice. And then after doing that, I got into corporate uh, intercultural coaching and training. Uh, and currently, I'm running my own business from West Africa and Burkina Faso and raising third culture kids. <laughs> so um, I'm not the you know the diplomat child who grew up um, learning five languages by the time they were four. I was born and raised in a homogenous environment and got the international experience through the beginning of the international student life. No, I mean, but you know, you were going through that, and it sounds exactly like someone that did it when they were younger. I mean, you just did it a little later, but you you started. Yeah. You know, you had that, that study abroad trip. You mentioned some of the, the things that happen when you come back home and it's not home anymore to you or it feels a little yep. different. Uh, you know, these are all experiences that, you know, uh, TCK third culture kids have. And a lot of the audience not necessarily are third culture kids, but they, they are internationally mobile. Um, and, and, you know, they're people that identify with different cultures. So I'm just I'm, I'm just curious. So you had some experiences that led you down the path of being an intercultural um, expert as you are right now. Um, were those experiences something with to do with miscommunication or things like that? I mean, when I think about my experiences, I always joke about my lear best learning method is learning by failure. Right. <laughs> I, um, as I said, I came from a homogenous cultural environment where going to Europe or going to Southeast Asia was not the norm, mm. and so everything I went into was very wide-eyed and fascinated by what I was seeing, experiencing. I think the, the, the largest thing for me was uh, getting into a binational relationship where my partner was from another nationality, had another cultural background, a different gender, and it was um, extremely challenging because was, there was a lot at stake. There was a lot of emotional things at stake. And um, for those of you who are in relationships, if it's kind of nice to feel right or not good when you feel wrong in a relationship. <laughs> and when there's um, a cultural element, then those those discussions are a lot more complicated. So I feel like um, that was the first thing. I had a lot of curiosity about that, how, how I explain myself, why do I do what I do, why do I think the way I think, and knowing it isn't right or wrong, but it comes from a perspective. Hmm. So that was probably the first thing. And... You know, I did some other things where I was um, a senior project manager in an international HR company doing an executive search in China and India and Malaysia, and we made some really big mistakes. Um, even though all of us had intercultural competencies, we had the knowledge, but when we were under financial and time pressure, some of those things just went out the window. And that is what really, really, really motivated me to stay in the field and help People remember how important of a role that plays because a lot of money can get lost, a lot of trust can be broken, and there can be plenty of miscommunication. So just knowing it is different from living it, and that's why I'm so passionate about it because I think about this all the time, and I want to inspire other people to see the role of culture that's going on with their friendships, with their professors, with their um, new integration experience, and um, it just keeps going on and on. Well, you Sunday are definitely an inspiration, so 
You don't have to worry about that. That's that's that's, 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 that's already happening. Um, but um, okay, no. So I'm gonna stay in that vein. International mm-hmm. students preparing himself for college in the United States, and um, you know, I know you have some stages of change that you would recommend. Um, I know a lot of this is your opinion, but uh, you know, your opinion is one that I respect. So, could you cover you know key points and maybe some of the stages that you would uh, recommend and how best to approach it? Okay, so what I think, um, if you know, if I'm if I'm speaking to all of the international students or people who are from all of the world, let's say who are coming to exciting universities within the U.S., I'm guessing um, for some people it's not their first time abroad. For others, it might be. Um, many might be well versed in the idea of what culture shock is. So m- my guess is they might not expect that it will happen to them. Um, so I think what's really important, one piece of advice I would give is um, expect to have culture shock. No matter how interculturally competent you are or how much you've looked into it, just be aware that it might take place. And you'll know that it takes place if all of a sudden you're feeling frustrated or powerless or disoriented um, or stuck. Right? It could be that because you are removed from all of your normal social interactions, all of the safety and security that you had before, all of that is stripped away and you feel like a child again, right when you're finally feeling like an adult, um, that that might be a sign of culture shock. So the the first um, bit of advice was acknowledge that you are likely to go through culture shock. That will minimize it. The other thing I would think about is um, it might not be comfortable, but it's short-term and it's important because it says that you're really learning, you're in a new environment, you're engaging in it rather than hiding from it or um, let's say tucking yourself away from it. And that's a good sign if you're getting a bit uncomfortable because you're engaging in something new. Mm-hmm. And if you keep that, like this is positive. If I'm uncomfortable, it means I'm actually learning something and your sense of identity is probably being challenged. And that would be probably the one of the things I would say in the beginning is um, embrace that and accept that and know if it's short term, you'll you'll get through it. So that's the, from the cultural perspective. Um, Teo, you also mentioned change. I um, I follow very closely um, a model which Dr. Martha Beck, an American sociologist from Harvard, um, has created and promotes, and it's this four square model of change. And she has that in her book called Finding Your uh, Own North Star. She has four squares of change. And if an international student can see their experience as one of change, not just I moved from home to a new place, but a journey of change, it might help them go through the highs and lows. And the first square is called death and rebirth. So your old life dies in many ways. You're not a high school student anymore, university student. You're not living with your parents anymore. You're living in a dormitory. So those there's a lot of death and rebirth. And to mourn the loss of what was and celebrate what is now, I think is important. Um, I think it's also important to know that you might feel this disorientation. You might not feel like yourself because you're not anymore. You're growing into something new. So that would be the square one. And know that the next square, which is one of my favorite squares, is dreaming and scheming. So now you can think, well, now that I'm kind of doing a new thing, what do I want that to look like? 
and let yourself dream, not just hold on to old constructs or keep yourself small of what you've normally done, but really all your options are open. If you're in a new school, you're in a new country, you can study whatever you want. Maybe you can't because you might have social pressures at home from your family, but if you do have unlimited options, play with what those are, what feels like the right thing. And once you have that, you can scheme, which means plan carefully. How do I get there? What does that mean for me socially? What does that mean for me academically? What does that mean for me uh, professionally? The next stage is square three, which Martha Beck calls the hero saga. And that is sort of this, you know, hero slaying the dragon. It's the hard work. Sometimes um, adversity comes where you're not expecting it. Sometimes you're able to make progress. This is the real implementation phase. And that might be when you're an international student, okay, now you know what field you want to study. Now you know how to get going in your classes and you're learning how to meet people, but it's hard and it might be harder than you thought. Um, and sometimes you might sort of slip back and really not know if that was the right choice. That's all normal. So again, if that international student sees it as part of the normal journey, they can get up in the morning and pick up their sword and slay the dragon again, so to speak. Okay. And the last, the last phase is square four, which she calls the promised land. And the promised land is really where, <coughs> excuse me, the things have um, started to work out. Things feel less difficult. You feel more competent. And there you can really enjoy that phase. And that might be um, after your first year. It might be after your second year. We can really say, yep, I have the friends that I want. I know what I want to study. I feel like I've adapted. Um, and if you know you'll end up in the promised land, it gives you motivation uh, to keep going through the journey. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And, you know, one of the things that I was, the one that really resonated with me was that scheming, the scheming part. Um, and because I always say as, as an international student and as someone that is coming to a new culture, you always have to make sure you, you have a game plan for, Certain things, because especially if you're, you know, a lot of the, the goal with college, a lot of times, well, most of the time, all the time should be, it's, you know, it's to get a job. And mm -hmm. as an international student, you have many things. Like you have the visa, you have certain type of jobs, you can get certain types of internships, hours you're restricted to, and they always, it's always best to have a game plan. And sometimes, as you said, there might be social pressures from back home saying you can only be this, be that, be that. And there are ways to to sort of tactfully maybe please your parents as well as, you know, please, you know, do something you like with the electives. And that's what happens in a liberal arts system where you can basically choose to do certain things that you might not have done if it was more of a focus. Uh, that's a lot of the differences with U S university and, um, other universities. But, right. I I, I want to, you know, dive into this developing milestones and celebrating progress, uh, a mm -hmm. little bit. And um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think I think um, there's a connection between you know really the scheming part, like you said. How, what is the plan? What are my milestones? I think it's important when you put it in context of the model because if people walk in, they've left the promised land of home with their family, their high school, their social network. They dive into this unknowing. They want to get right back to square four, the promised land. Mm. But it's, it is not that simple because it, there is a natural process you have to go through. And if you know you can count on uh, a plan, 
uh, where you can move forward. It helps you be patient. So when I think about milestones, I'm talking really classic uh, milestones in terms of what do you want to learn? What do you want to do, see, and experience? And then you do what a lot of people in the corporate context do. You set realistic goals, set dates, and check in on your progress. And they call them, um, George T. Doran calls them smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Mm-hmm. And so you set those goals. And the thing is, you really need to revisit them. So if you need to set a reminder in your iPhone calendar or you need to put it on your wall, once you set them, revisit them. How am I doing after a week, after four weeks, after a semester? Because then you can um, sort of take leverage on um, where you need to probably invest more attention and where are you already doing okay. And what's really important to me about that is when we set these goals, really celebrate the small and big achievements. And now the one thing I've done is I've I've written a little bit about celebration. And if, if you look up celebrate, a synonym is to honor. So when you celebrate, you take time to honor your achievements. And who doesn't need that when you're kind of in overwhelm and everything's new and you don't feel competent in all areas. So I think it's important to keep the synonym of honor in mind. What are the achievements that you've made? And also think about if you don't celebrate, it's it's like the antonym of celebrate, which is to ignore, neglect, or criticize. So mm-hmm. when you fail to take time to celebrate your success, you actually inadvertently ignore your success. So you neglect to honor your achievements. And what that does is in our brain, then, we have more space for self-criticism, and it creates an imbalance or a void where no praise um, has space. And I think that's really important for people to keep in mind, the, the biological role that celebration takes in terms of seeing the progress that you've made. Right. No, I love it. Um, um, and then you were saying that, and I was just nodding my head over here on this side. I was like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, but, um, really. And so I have a couple examples. If you want something concrete on what you can do, please six yeah. six milestones. And this is quite open, but it, I think it leaves space for people. The the six milestones that I choose to look at, and I did this at the end of um, the turn of the year, was I brainstorm examples, really big ones, really small ones. For the first one is what I accomplished. Second is what I learned what I overcame, so in terms of difficulty. I am proud of, and you make a list of what you're proud of, what you really enjoyed and what you were inspired by. And I think if if you can look back and brainstorm those six categories, you have a lot to celebrate. Yeah, no. And one of the things that I always say as uh, you need to get involved on campus as much as you can, as, as uncomfortable as it makes you feel, yeah. as uncomfortable yeah. as it makes you feel. I, I mean, I remember uh, as a 17 year old, I came to, to, to college here when I was 17 and uh, you know, the first opportunity I had, I, I, I tried, this was just based cause I just wanted to win. I got involved in this nonprofit on campus here. And then mm-hmm. I joined like all oh, the marketing club, the zone club, the this geek mm-hmm. club, and every whatever club. <laughs> and yeah. then I played intramural sports as well. Um, but what what happened out of that were was that you know, 
unknown to me. I was building a network of people that I could, you know, I could talk to outside of class. And it wasn't, you know, you didn't have that social pressure of just like, oh, we have to sit next to each other. So we have to talk. It was more like, right. oh, yeah, well, you know, how you do it? Um, yeah. So, you know, and you'd walk around campus sometimes and then you'd be like, hey, hey, hey. And not all these people might not even be in your, your major, especially Apple mm-hmm. and intramural sports. Um, so, you know, it's always important. And sometimes I was uncomfortable. I'm not going to die. But, um, you know, I, you, like you said, you work through that comfort and you know you're doing something right when you're uncomfortable. And exactly. It through, so. And yeah. one of the challenges that a lot of international students face is loneliness. Mm. They're away from not only their family and their friends, but their food, their social context, yeah. you know, your television, their language. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it is, it's, a, it's sort of like a hard price to pay. You have to, they say in German, you have to jump over your own shadow. Right. Uh, you have to sort of go forward even despite the discomfort because if you're lonely, being alone is not going to cure that. It's going to be connecting with other people. And like you said, choosing a shared interest. And even if you're not even that interested in it, if you like to be outside and move, okay, join softball, join a jogging group, just mm-hmm. do something to to feel better and make connection with people. Because human connection is so essential. And what I've learned over and over is most people might seem confident on the outside, but inside they're also nervous to make connection. And when you make that connection, whether it's in a small or a big way, they appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the king of that. Because uh, <laughs> a lot of times people come up to me just because of my general disposition is always smiling and laughing. But, um, you know, simple hi, right? Simple hi, mm-hmm. how was your mm-hmm. day? How was it? For, for example, you know, Christmas and New Year's just happened. You go back to school. I was telling my uh, 15-year-old brother this because he's going through this. He, he just moved to the States here for high school. And, um, you know, in high school, you have all these cliques already set it here. And mm-hmm. He's in 10th grade. So everyone made their relationships in 9th grade. Um, you know, and I was just telling him, you know, some of these things are simple. Hi, how was your break? What did you do? That, you know, you know, open-ended questions like that, as, as cliche as that sounds, could just lead into, you know, more unexpected answers and that from there you can really trill and you know some people are always like whoa okay yeah thank you yeah one of my absolutely i told you never know where that connection will lead you one of my absolutely best friends um i still have in my life came from when i was 15 and i was new from i went to a country school went to a school in the city city of ten thousand. not really city but um, <laughs> um and she asked me to come out with her one night and we just went for a drive and um that she's one of my best friends it was this one gesture of extension and that made a lifelong friendship yep yep and with that gesture, I would, I, I would I'm going to segue into this with uh, before I come back to culture is breaks. American colleges, mm-hmm. universities have so many breaks that are not recognized elsewhere. So mm-hmm. you have Thanksgiving break, uh, which you know not everyone celebrates. Fall break, spring break, um, you know, and um, a winter break. But these are such big momentous moments, right? Spring break is the time when you know a lot of people just go out have fun. Uh, Thanksgiving break, a lot of people going back to family. And I, I remember uh, one of my very first Thanksgivings here, um, you know, I, I remember being approached by a lot of people saying, come home with us, come home with us. You can't be alone here. What are you doing? You know, and, and, and it was genuine and it was, but it was always, 
you know, it was, I was like, wait, you, your family doesn't know who I am, right? <laughs> and, right. and for each year, I had different approaches. So after a while, I was, you know, I was like, no, nah, it's okay. But then the second year, someone eventually grabbed me enough. Someone convinced me enough to go there. And it was one of the best experiences I had because, you know, it's a big time for family. And it's sometimes they always want you to include as many people as you can. Um, yeah. And just taking that step with going to meet uh, someone, you know, led to other things. So I've had the, I stayed by myself. I've had the, I went with family. I had, I hung out with other internationals and we did our own Thanksgiving thing. But one advice that I always say, and it's something you touched on with, with your friend there is, is you never know. I mean, obviously you have to do this within reason. I'm not saying you should go and like join the, go with a crazy creep and, you know, head over to his or her house. But, you know, <laughs> it's within reason, right? You know, friends, right. Friends that you've built relationships with, or people yeah. you've had, it's like, hey, you know, my family is having this over. You know, we're driving over there. You should come. Um, we have plenty of food. It's Thanksgiving, and that also gives you a, a feeling of what it's like to, to you know to be in America. I mean, Thanksgiving is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, mm-hmm. holiday here. So yeah, that yeah. that's how you really feel. Like you yeah, know, I think you know. it's an important um, cultural event for people to experience yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, um, you were saying loneliness earlier. Um. One of the things that happens when people come here is uh, they have a perception of what America is, right? So whether it's through the romantic comedies, uh, for me. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had my 90s comedies that, you know, she's all that. 10 things I hated about you, all that, um, uh, and all the, you know, Disney shows and stuff that I, you know, I still fondly remember, Nickelodeon and all that, but, um, America's not one culture, right? So th- yeah. there, there's so many different things. I, my first university experience was in a small college town, uh, and I've been in a big city as well, but, you know, the South, the West, the Northeast, is so much to take in, and everyone is diverse, but... And then I stood in my, you know, you said to expect culture shock. They might not know what to expect, but they, you know, within each subculture, there are often different ways to approach people um, yeah. and to expect. Do you, do you I mean, I, I imagine this happens even for Americans themselves, not just international students. So yeah. what, what would you yeah. say? Well, I mean, I have clients who are from California, and when they go to New York City for work, they always talk about how different um, it is. Mm-hmm. And how people relate to time. And, you know, I think what I would advise um, for the international students, um, because rather than saying, are they like the Americans? I think they are. Are they real Americans? Or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, just, I think instead what I would do is um, just be observant and watch, notice um, things tendencies, how people behave, how they speak, and work really hard to be neutral about it. it. Even though that sounds easy, it's it's kind of difficult 
just get curious. Why did they do it that way? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you're if you want bonus points or extra credit, you could look into some of the cultural dimensions how people see hierarchy versus, you know, individualism, collectivism, how they see power, um, what way are they more direct in their communication. So then when you are observing, you have a very grounded, neutral vocabulary to make sense of those differences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's really important. You know, and, what, yeah. yeah, no, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, and I just think that... Um, one thing is important, one of the things I associate with becoming an international student and going to university is making friends. And that happens for people on secondments, professionals who move abroad. People need connection, going back to what we talked about before. Mm. And I think one thing a student could do is understand how American friendships work vis-a-vis their own cultural um, understanding of friendship. Because friendship varies really differently by culture. And what one person would call a friend is just an associate or someone you might know um, in another culture. And someone who would be your best friend could just be a sort of casual friend from another perspective because people see friendship differently. And who counts as a real, real close friend and who doesn't varies. And if you get those confused, you might be in for trouble. And I'll just give an example Um, I know uh, um, a close friend of mine who is not from the U.S., goes to the U.S., has a great conversation with someone in a social setting. The person, the American says, yeah, we should get together sometime. Call me. And then nothing happens after that. And the the person who is not from the U.S. feels betrayed. The way they were talking, what they were talking about, felt like they were getting close fast. Right. Yeah. based on their cultural um, preferences and practices. What the American was doing was connecting in an authentic way, but on what American would say, just a fun surface, small talk way. And it's confusing if you're using a different friendship model or a different way of relating what's private, what's not, what's personal, what's not. So I think from an intercultural perspective, if you understand that people what a friend means and what the obligations are and what how deep that friendship goes really does vary by right. culture and if you know that i think you can save yourself some surprise or frustration no you're right and um the key thing that i'll pick on that um, from what you just said is be observant um mm-hmm. i can't say how you know that's that's you know that's helped me out a lot i mean i i get in trouble a lot for for the for what you said the um appearing to be more friendly than I am actually are uh than I actually am because it's like oh you know because I you know I'm generally someone that cares about what your interest is and I'll ask you how you're doing and I'll sit with you and I'll talk with you for extended period of time and then I I can go about my day and then um you know that can be confused for something else as uh you you just you're just using me to pass time and then you didn't even ask about me the next day um but um you know it's just about gauging and understanding that environment but I think the thing about being observant is 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 so key because you, you have to take in your environment for what it is. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, you know, so if you went to California, for example, you might be more chilled and relaxed, and it might be okay to you know to to be as casual as as, as you you um you know you want to be with the conversations. I and mean, then uh, you know somewhere I went to like in uh, Virginia, it's it's a little different. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just 
understand that and be open-minded it's the same thing as you um, just take taking the whole experience as something that's going to be different and something that you're going to constantly learn from yeah. um and even and if, it, even if yeah. you fail right yeah and and good fail because yeah, how are fail. you going to learn honestly yeah. i mean yeah. there are things that i've learned only because i've fallen flat on my face <laughs> exactly and, and it, if i hadn't i wouldn't have learned it exactly plus you you know i mean they make for good stories in the end i have so many <laughs> stories stuff so many oh. stories to share I'm like oh yeah that one time i oh. you know i was like oh yeah and it, it always feels like the worst thing then but you know, I'm here now, right? So and it creates it creates awareness. I yeah. also have some really embarrassing stories, and I won't. Put yeah, no, but... we can talk about it off there. Yeah, that's right. But, <laughs> but yeah. after we stop recording, no, but it creates massive awareness, and this is the difference. And this is what the intercultural side is. When we look at intercultural competence, um, I don't know if you and I have talked about this before. We have um, unconscious incompetence, where you don't know that you're making mistakes. Then you have conscious incompetence where you are messing up and you know it. The next level is conscious competence where you're doing a good job and you're aware of it and it takes some effort. And then finally, unconscious competence where you're just doing it well at ease and it's kind of by default. And you learn when you are at conscious incompetence. And it's like learning a new language. When I speak French and then some bad conjugation comes out of my mouth, I then realized that's what it was. And the next time I'm more aware, I might make that same mistake 10 times. But then on the 11th and 12th time, if I've caught myself on it, then I make the change. There are a thousand other mistakes that are behind me to now correct. But that one I've nailed. And that's the real process of it. And I sometimes feel uncomfortable when people call me an intercultural expert because I don't want people to think, that I know what I'm doing in every context and I will never make any mistakes. No way. I will make a ton of mistakes, but I'm the first person to be aware of what's going on in the situation, why that might, might have been a mistake, what things that are complex from history and identity and context that might be playing a role and then be much more aware the next time in that I'm in that situation. Yeah. And other people who are going on default and are like a bull in a china shop aren't the ones doing the learning. Yeah. And no. so, yeah. yeah. So that's what I want. People, I want international students to go, you know what? You're going to do something and it might make for a great laugh and it might help you bond with someone. I know. I agree. And I know you don't like being called an expert, but this is something I've learned just from going around and traveling a lot. It's that once you get to that point of self-awareness. So, for example, with the third culture kid word once you know i i did before i knew what the word was i had gotten to a point at some uh i don't know somewhere in my high school years where i was going through puberty which is interesting but anyways that's another conversation but um <laughs> <laughs> um but somewhere there when it, it dawned on me i became more self-aware uh, this is mm-hmm. one thing that i i feel like in students once you get to this point it, it helps you out a lot but i became more self-aware what is how i was perceived how i was you know because I'm I'm a Nigerian, right? And my, you know, a lot of times no one knows that I am Nigerian. I, you know, I I know why. You know, it could be the way I sound, whatever. But you become more self-aware, and you get to the point where you're able to recognize some patterns that you're getting into. So if it's a bad habit, or if it's something that you do in, that's not recognized in this country or culture, you understand that. If it's having to navigate between, 
you know, going back to home or family and going to the American culture and going to the, you know, just different cultures, you start to just be able to juggle this and it's, you become comfortable with that. And this is something that, that I want to say for NAS students, what you can become comfortable in making mistakes, but also comfortable in understanding that it's going to be a constant thing and yeah. it's okay. And it's completely okay. okay. And I think yeah. recognizing that makes you, I'm not going to say, okay, I guess an expert, but that's why I, you know, I, I bonded with you over there, um, despite the <laughs> fact that we both share Burkina Faso um, <laughs> as a country that we, we've yeah. lived in. Um, it's because yeah, not everybody gets to that point. A lot of people um, in that students, when they get to that phase, you know, the uh, ones that go back home and they can't deal with the stress and overwhelm, it's because they haven't gotten to that point. And it's like, you know, they, they did, it was just too much, right? And yeah. they, they, yeah, they couldn't take it in. And then it was, you know, so you, if you brave through and understand that you're not the only one, right, <laughs> going through this, but it's also okay to go through. It is normal and it's actually a good sign. So it goes, for me, it goes back to that idea of culture shock and what it really is or growth. It's a, culture shock is the beginning of the road to cultural adaptation. Right. And when you are going through tough times and you're feeling stress, it is a great sign that you are in the throes of cultural adaptation. And one um, one way that um, you might look at it is called this. It's called the stress adaptation growth dynamic. I believe it's from Kim um, from 2001. And it's this. If you imagine a corkscrew um, in a wine bottle, when you see the corkscrew, as it you put pressure on it, it moves. It turns and it goes forward, right? And if you remove the pressure, then it will go backward. So when you imagine yourself on this dynamic process, when I feel stress, I am growing. And then I adapt. And after I've done that process of adaptation, I feel stress again. That means I'm growing and then I adapt. So it's actually stress. At a healthy level, not an unhealthy level, at a, un, at a healthy level is a positive sign of growth. So actually, it's something that should be welcomed and not avoided. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we're going to wrap up soon, but um, I, but I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm just trying. I'm trying to be very respectful of your time. So um, no I, I want to get in uh, some, some of your thoughts here. You you've had. You've probably dealt with stereotype in a different context than what I'm about to ask, but yeah. <laughs> and this I, this is your opinion. I understand. Yeah. I, I'm gonna say yeah. I'm, I'm prefacing that that way. This is your opinion, but I imagine you being you know in in a different intercultural relationship and or being having to go through different cultures and you have probably had st- certain stereotypes by a country. Absolutely. How did you adapt to that? Because I, I you know I this is another thing that I could go on for stories. Um, when people find out I'm Nigerian, I can't even tell you the amount of stories that, that I hear. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, well, what do you do? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, to be transparent, I've been stereotyped in my age. I've been stereotyped in my gender, in my nationality, mm-hmm. in my family status. This happens to a lot of people and people with minority identities more. And oftentimes when stereotypes are negative, that's where it gets. Um, frustrating, disheartening, or even dangerous. Um, so being an American um, in Europe was um, a challenge when there was a lot of political uh, dissatisfaction with the Bush administration. So that was probably when I felt 
um, uh. people seeing me as an American, um, even though I had been away from home for a decade, for example. So there, I have personally dealt with um, with some of that, um, but that's a little bit, um, how should I say it, less of a problem than when people are from highly vulnerable uh, cultural contexts or really seen as a minority and lower in status with other cultures, then it gets really icky and really complicated. So mm. I think um, some of the strategies that people can use when they're dealing with stereotypes really depends on the relationship, who they're with, what the power dynamic is, and, and what's going on, what the context is. So the way I have done, um, played with stereotypes, um, really depends on whether I'm in a personal, informal, social situation, what, how close I am to the person, what are the power dynamics, or is it professional? Right. So, um, and how fed up I am of defending that stereotype. <laughs> um, so one way is humor. Um, sometimes I exaggerate, I prove a point by using humor. Um, I might uh, take on the stereotype they've handed to me in a way that they see that's absolutely furthest thing from what it might be. Um, I might come from a very sincere place by saying, um, for example, when people say, oh, well, you Americans, I'll just say, well, actually, there are 300 million Americans, right. and um, exactly. I'm just, all I know about is my family and my region. And so I might um, be factual with them about that. Another way um, that you can do is say, oh, I can understand based on um, the fact that you haven't been to my country or have experienced uh, my culture, you might not understand um, how complex it is. Are you curious about X, Y, or Z? So oftentimes people, when they use stereotypes, um, they might not realize how limiting they are. As yeah. you said in the beginning, you know, when you watch American movies and TV, you almost feel like you know what it is <laughs> because you've had so many images. Yeah. And so, you know, again, with neutrality, if someone... Um, has a stereotypic um, view of something and it, it feels like it matters to you to say something about it, um, you might offer additional information or say, well, from my experience, this is how I see it, or based on the people that I know, it's like this, or actually who you're talking about represents one billion people on the planet, um, and just have an engaged conversation but from an intercultural perspective, um, it's important to know people's development. Some people who don't have very high intercultural sensitivity um, might get defensive if you um, challenge their thinking in the way that they see the world, and it might feel threatening. So that is important to keep in mind, um, that it doesn't become a fist fight verbally. Right. Um, <laughs> That, you know, people are at where they're at. You, I just trust that people can judge in the moment that they're in um, what approach makes most sense. Um, and then experiment. Which ones are more fruitful than the other? You know, I've done that. Um, I, you know, in my very college days, I would throw out all these statistics and things about women and the glass ceiling and power, and et cetera. And that just turned people off the dialogue Right. So, you know, depending on who you're with, um, you might want to think about what strategies make most sense. This is what I, this is what I would say. And this is what has happened that I've, I've, I've done as an approach I've had. Because, you know, I, um, I remember, I think it was when I was 10. I want to say 10 or 11. I, I got asked, you know, why my hair was so curly. 
And, and you know, then I didn't know what I was like. I didn't even understand what that question was. I remember I went home and I was trying to figure it out myself. I was looking at my, you know, on my hair. But, you know, these are, this is like one of the first time I actually figured it. I was like, okay, that's another question. But um, one of the, this, the approach that I've done and I've done, I've, I've uh, applied um, ever since, especially in college on, it's, you know, I see it as an educational opportunity. I remember coming to, coming to Virginia and I got asked, um, well, once again, when I told him I was Nigerian, I got asked if, you know, we had gyms, if there was a car, if I was, is I slept the mm-hmm. monkey, monkey, you know, Lion King, everything, everything about Lion yeah. King. They got asked me if Mufasa was my friend, you know, all these type of stuff. And wow. this happened consistently. So I, I figured out that it, there was no TV hidden camera. This is no way that they strategically picked me out to ask this and say, well, we're bigger than I get, but, but, um, what I always do is, um, you know, I, it was it wasn't like a it wouldn't be like a factual thing, but I always see it as an education opportunity. It'd be like, hey, you know, um, why? Well, yeah, you know, you've, I understand, you know, that you, you probably don't know a lot, you don't know about, you know, Nigeria, but um, yeah, Nigeria was colonized by England, so that's why we speak in English. And it's the, the tone and how you phrase it, right? The structure, yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah. And to be honest, I mean, if we would maybe do the same, exactly, if we were thrown into that's, a very different cultural context, that's exactly. we would just. That's, we would see our questions as curiosity and not naivety. That's exactly what I was about to say. Because I'm saying, yeah. you, just think of it as you're coming to the United States where it's 50 states and there's, you probably don't know a lot about the different cultures and you probably be learning a lot about, I mean, you, if you go into the barbecue culture, for example, for example, I had something that I'm, North Carolina barbecue, just, there's so many things you can say, like, you can't just go out and you wouldn't know, right? It would seem like a, a dumb question to them in, in the region, so... I usually just, you know, if it's, you know, I take a breath or just say, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, we were actually colonized by this and this is what happened. This is why Africa is not, um, I know this is a common mistake people make, but Africa is not a, a country. country? Actually, yeah. No, I, 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 I keep the tone that even though in my head I'm thinking this is something that you should have known geography. It's a yeah. sixth grade, but, you know, you just keep it and you just um, say, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's. Interesting that you asked that, but uh, Africa's actually not a country. This is a common mistake people make. This is blah, blah, blah. It's broken down. And then, you know, conversation yeah. ends there and it's like, oh, really? And then, you know, it's not hostile and it's not that. So um, it's it's just how you phrase it and make sure you're careful. And you also have to be cognizant of the fact that you're a foreigner in their country, you know, in the United States. And this, it's something that you just understand like you understand dynamics right so right and the media dynamic is different because if you live in europe you get a ton of european news yeah if you live in the u.s you might get a lot of state news from other states but not necessarily a ton of international news and that's how it is vice versa just that's just that's exactly what it was so uh i'm gonna wrap up with some fun questions here before i let you go Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, these are the hardest questions in the world. Um, no. <laughs> um, which country is your favorite country to listen? Um, no, favorite country, period. Let me ask. Let me start with that. My favorite country. Oh, my gosh. You can't ask me that. My heart is in so many places. Um, well, well, where's the biggest part of your heart? <laughs> uh, it's so hard to answer that. I, I think, honestly, I... Um, I I have two homes. I was born and raised in the U.S. And when I go to North Dakota, I am home. I am in in my region, in the area that I'm from, I feel home. I love the nature. I love the landscape. 
Um, so that's definitely where my heart is there. But I'm also I've spent more of my adult life in Switzerland. And when I arrive, I also feel home. Um, but I love to travel. I'm extremely attracted to Southeast Asia. And I love to vacation there. I have just so many places I have not visited and want to visit so badly. So I'm attracted to um, Southeast Asian culture. Okay. And I, I just adore Burkina Faso right now. I actually just adore the Burkina Bay. They're yeah. amazing um, from what I've seen so far. So it's too hard of a question. Well, I mean, so it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like you're married to North Dakota and you, 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 have, uh, you, you have an affair with, you know, uh, you know Switzerland. A long, long, long term affair. It's, and it's an, it's an agreeable thing. And then uh, you're flirting with Southeast Asia. So it's okay. All right. So, 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 Those are I, your words, not mine. <laughs> uh, what, what about um, food? Best food? Food. I love um, Thai food. I love Indian food. I love, um, I don't know a lot about Japanese food besides sushi, but I love sushi. Um, I love German bread and Swiss cheese. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a lot of things that I like. And from the U.S., I, hmm, good question. I like uh, the coffee shops. Not the, the modern um, sort of chains, but the classic coffee houses. Yeah. Um, and I like um, going for Tex-Mex. <laughs> you're the second person i interviewed someone yesterday and he was saying tex-mex was his favorite too so um yeah. look at you all right tex-mex all right well uh as uh before i let you go where can we find out more about you what are you up to and what's what's you know what's sunday being is life like okay <laughs> so um you can find me at sundaybean.com that's s-u-n-d-a-e-b-e-a-n.com and i have a blog um, so you can go there, check out what my coaching and intercultural insight is. Email me directly if you have specific questions. Um, yeah, it's the best way to go. Sunday Bean at, or sorry, Sunday at SundayBean.com is my email. So you can reach me there directly. Boom. SundayBean.com. Sunday at SundayBean.com. It's Bean. And then I will put that in the show notes as well. So, you know, it'll be easily accessible. And, um, yeah, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I hope, uh, you know, you're able to get back to family and laugh some more. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dale. You have a great time, and I hope you've started um, your 2015 exactly how you want it. Yep, 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 indeed. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 